Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Have you been blessed? Well, what a blessing you are and a blessing God has been to us so much. Our children are in here with us. If you're under the, uh, if you're fifth grade or under, stand up and holler and wave at us. All right, everybody fifth grade and under. Look around you here. They're everywhere. All right, praise the Lord. I, well, we're giving thanks too. I, one more time, could we say thank you to all of those who had a part in For Unto Y'all? It was just a wonderful time. Amen. And the fellowships you've had is life groups, our youth, children, preschool, adults, senior adults. Every time you see a senior adult gathering, they got a pork chop going in or a or a piece of prime rib or something going in there. Our college. Uh, I, you know, there's so many people that make everything operate here. Our security. Uh, in 2019, they've confiscated 38 pistols, three pipe bombs. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> but while we're sitting here enjoying worship, there are folk who are gathered all around here to make sure everything is safe. I tell you, they, they uh, are a blessing to this church, and I appreciate that. Matthew chapter 2, and then let me just say one other word of thanks. Uh, back in August, uh, our deacons gave us a trip, and we just went to New York City on that trip, and you as a church gave us the spending money uh, to go, and because of your spending money, we were able to move up from the YMCA up to a hotel room, and, and I want to tell you, my we appreciate that so much. It was a wonderful time we had this, this week getting just uh, to do kind of what we wanted to do, and I appreciate you so much for making that possible. Matthew chapter 2, and we've read this two or three times, so we'll not read it this morning. We'll just refer back to it. Uh, as we've referred before, these events that happened here with the wise men probably take place six months, maybe a year, could even be two years after the birth of Jesus Christ. But these wise men tell us one more time uh, in this mixed up world that we have, I think they give us four more things that we can look at and say, wow, uh, you know, th this speaks to us today. This is for us today. Now, I started every one of them with the word E so that it would be easy for you to understand, all right? So the first thing I see here in Matthew chapter 2 about the worship of the wise men is the expectancy of them. They expected. You know, about the time that Jesus was born, there was a great expectancy in the air. Some folk thought about a cataclysmic event that was going on. They were looking for the Messiah to come. They'd been studying Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 26, and they knew something was about to happen. The same thing going on today, folks. I don't know if you're expecting it or not, but I hear people say, well, this has got to happen. This has got to happen. Listen to me. According to the Word of God, there ain't nothing got to happen for Jesus to come for his church. Any given time, he can, we can be caught up in the air to meet him. Any given time there, there ought to be an expectancy. And these wise men were expecting something to happen. Uh, the expectancy is reflected in their judgment. Now listen, this is an important lesson that the wise men understood that we need to understand too. They depended first on the word of God 
and then the outward signs and circumstances. The first thing, though, is the Word of God. See, we want a generation that give us a sign. Show us a sign. No, get in the Word of God and find out what the Bible says, and then the signs and all will follow and correlate with the Word of God. That's what the, uh, the uh, wise men did. They believed what the Bible said. Every Christian ought to learn that lesson in judgment, and also it's reflected in their journey. The star didn't lead them to where Jesus was. The star got them started, headed in toward the east, toward Jerusalem. They said, we've seen his star in the east, and it seems to have appeared to them as a signal to start with there. But then they traveled hundreds of miles. It was a journey of faith. I cannot believe how hard we try as Christians to not live by faith. God, give me everything. Show me what you want now, Lord, but show me how we're going to do it or I'm not going to be able to do it. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. These wise men understood that. You understand the kind of journey we're talking about here? Some five, 600 miles through desert, wilderness, crooks, bandits, uh, freezing to death. We were in Central Park this uh, week, 16 degrees like idiots, 21 mile an hour wind out of the north on a bicycle. And I'm just telling you right now, uh, these guys, they, they, they made no provision for sickness except just to press on. You get up one morning and say, well, I got an upset stomach. Well, just line up, buddy. We're going on. You know, there's no, there's no uh, uh, aspect for any of that. All these fair weather Christians we've got. Whoo, when you look at here, Man, you think, good grief. Judgment, journey, but it's also reflected in their joy. Verse 9 says, when they'd heard the king, they departed. Lo, the star, which they saw in the east, it gets, presents themselves again, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. <laughs> they rejoiced. I tell you, the prospect of finding Christ ought to set us on fire. It ought to make us the most joyful people in all of this world. Martin Luther said the devil is a chronic grumbler and the Christian ought to be a living doxology. Billy Sunday said if you have no joy in religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Phillips Brooks said the religion that makes a man look sick certainly won't cure the world. I was read the story before, but Dr. W.A. Criswell from First Baptist Church of Dallas, who's going to be with the Lord now, loved to tell this story. Uh, about a businessman from Louisville, Kentucky. Came out of a hotel downtown Dallas, and he was looking for a church to go to on Sunday morning. And he came across a policeman. He said, sir, uh, could you point me to a good church to go to on Sunday morning? And uh, he said, yes, sir. He said, if you'll walk straight down this street and get to Irvay and turn left, you'll find the First Baptist Church of Dallas, and you'll have a good experience. That that's a good church for you to go to. And the man said, thank you very much, policeman, uh, sir. And he turned to walk away, and then he stopped. And he said, sir, the policeman. He said, sir, to the policeman, you, you probably got 10 or 12 churches or more on your beat down here. Why did you send me to the First Baptist Church of Dallas? Why? And the policeman kind of looked at him, and he said, yes, sir. I've been doing this over 20 years. I've got a lot of churches on my beat. He said, I'm not a religious man, not very religious, don't go to church. 
There are a number of churches here. But he said, I sent you there because I've observed over these last 20 years that the people who come out of that church are the happiest looking people in all of the world. Well, I tell you, when we leave the house of God, we ought to look happy. I mean, we ought not to look like we died or, or had to endure something. We ought to be thrilled. We ought to look happy. I mean, even if you get in the parking lot and you're going to run somebody over, at least put a smile on your face and look happy as you run over them or something, all right? Wow. Christianity, <laughs> it'll change your sunsets into sunrises. Ooh, somebody help me now. It'll change your downward look into an upward look. It'll change your bouts with sadness into shouts of gladness. When you get a hold of Jesus, boy, there's an expectancy there. The expectancy, the judgment, the journey, the joy. Now, this next word, I, 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 the, the real word is joy or delight. But see, I wanted all of them to start with an E, so I had to look it up. But the ecstasy of the wise men. Now, for some of you others, that means the joy or the delight or the jubilation of the wise men. These wise men came to Bethlehem for the express purpose of worshiping the Christ child. Why'd you show up this morning? <laughs> Don't you hate those loaded questions? Well, I showed up because I'm in charge of making the coffee. No, I, 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 they showed up to worship Jesus. That ought to be what we showed up for. This ecstasy is evident, first of all, in their presence. They came from the east by means of a long journey, and they were present. Verse, seven, uh, verse 11 says, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child. Now, you know what that tells me? That means they were there. Listen to me. I'm going to be nice. A couple of places here, I got to be real careful what I say. But don't tell me no more that, preacher, I'm not going to be there, but my spirit's there. I don't want your demonic spirit in this place. <laughs> you keep your spirit with you, all right? You make a covenant when you can show up, you show up in the house of God. Because if God comes down this morning and we have a Holy Ghost revival, those who are not here are not going to be a part of it. They're going to be like, who's that, th uh, Thomas who missed the Sunday night service, and the Lord showed up. Mm-hmm. What a way to have to explain. Yeah. I read about an old man in a pastor's church named Fred, and uh, he loved the church. His eyes were bad, walked with a cane, couldn't hear thunder, but he always came to church. Every time doors opened, he was at church, always. Friday afternoon, he'd go by the church office, and he'd pick up a bulletin, an order of worship, He'd go home and he'd make his daughter look up all the scriptures, read them to him, all of the hymns and songs they'd sing, all of his Sunday school lesson. And one Sunday she told the pastor, she said, you know, daddy makes me do all of these things before he comes to church. She said, I don't think he hears a thing you say at church. I have to read the Sunday school lesson to him. I look up the scripture. I say all the hymns. We sit there. We go through all of that. So one day the pastor asked him, he said, Brother Fred, can you understand what I'm saying at church? He said, no, sir, brother, not a word. But the psalmist said, the Lord is in his holy temple, and I come here to meet the Lord. I mean, you ought to be at church. You ought to be at church. That ought to be a commitment that you make. Fred was present, and the ecstasy of the wise men was evident because they were present also. But it's also evident <laughs> excuse me, in their prostration. 
you see, verse uh, uh, 11, when they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down. They fell down. They fell prostrate before the Christ child. Now, what that means is I have to decrease. He has to increase. That's what that means. Now, let me tell you something that I think maybe we need to hear every once in a while because some of y'all think I'm crazy. I love shouting. Ooh, ain't nothing better than good shouting fit. I love people say amen. The Bible says in Psalms, uh, we've even put it to a song, let all the people say amen. Beautiful song there. Psalm 36, all the people said amen and praise the Lord. I think uh, you ought to clap your hands, shout uh, with the voice of triumph, all you people. Uh, all of those things are necessary. The amens, the shouting, the clapping. But I want to tell you, there comes a time probably where we all just bow our head in reverence and remember that the Lord is in his holy temple. And boy, when you start thinking about Jesus, you see an irreverent person has lost the sight of the holiness and the majesty of God. A student from Iran came over to America, college student, asked him to go to church with him, and he did. He was through with church, and he said, uh, boy, you all have a small God here in America. College student took offense to it and said, what, what do you mean a small God? Man, our God created the heavens and the earth, slung the stars into space. He, he created everything. We don't have a small God. We've got a big God. He said, well, you know, when we pray to our God, we fall prostrate. We don't worry about a cell phone. We don't look around. He said, I just noticed while everybody's praying, people all looking around and they're irreverent and they're walking around and all that. He said, I just thought y'all had a small God. Hmm. We, we need to remember that our God is to be reverenced. Amen. The angels. Look, 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 could I tell you something about the angels? Did you know they never sinned? The angels never sinned. They never did. But you know what? When they approached the Lord, God, they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, if the angels who have never known what it was like, <laughs> never known what it was like to be destined for eternity, separated from God, they never knew what it was like. They've never lived in darkness and been brought to light. If they can say, holy, 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 Lord of hosts, we ought to be doing something a little bit more than what we're doing. Well, this ecstasy was evident in their presence. It's evident in their prostration. It's evident also in their praise. Verse 11 again, they fell down and worshiped him. I don't want to hack you off, but they didn't worship mama. I'm glad, I'm sure they were glad to meet Joseph and Mary and all that, but I want to tell you something. Listen to me. There's only one worthy of our worship, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Only at the feet of Jesus do we need to be worshiping. Peter was coming in, and Cornelius met him fell down at his feet, worshiped, and Peter said, hey, man, stand up. I'm just a man too. 
Paul and Barnabas were there at Lystra, and they were going in, and people began to offer sacrifices and praise, and they said, Sirs, why are y'all doing this stuff? We're just men with passions like you. Wow. Worship only at the feet of Jesus. I better go on. I'm going to get in trouble. The third thing here is the extravagance of the wise men, the expectancy the ecstasy, the extravagance. I was sitting there with Becky. Oh, I wasn't sitting. We were standing. It was standing room only at St. Patrick's. And I'm thinking, good grief. You know, there again, I don't want to upset you, but, you know, I don't believe the Catholics have the whole gospel presentation like it needs to be. I'll just be honest with you, Okay. And yet they spend millions on a building. And we Baptists, we try to get us a tin building as cheap as we can. Amen? That's what we, got to get it cheap. Well, these wise men brought expensive things, gold. Now what you did is you were, if you were going to see a king, you brought a gift that was worthy of the person you were going to see. And gold was a very worthy gift. And so they're going to see the king of kings and lord of lords, and so they bring gold. You say, hey, that's good, preacher. That's very good. Then there was a gift of frankincense. Frankincense was used in the temple worship. You would mix the frankincense with the oil, and the priest would be anointed with it there. And so it was used as a temple. And when they, when they brought the frankincense to Jesus, they're referring to the fact that he's our high priest. You know, before all of this takes place here, uh, well, even before this, uh, you couldn't just come into the Holy of Holies. But because of Jesus and the resurrection, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. Now, i love for you to call, and I'll pray for you, and I'll do it, but let me just tell you, if you think you've got to call a preacher to pray for you, you're in bad shape. You can go right to the throne room yourself. You don't need a priest. You don't need a music director. You don't need a preacher. You can go yourself. So they bring gold representing the king. They bring frankincense representing the fact that he's our high priest. (laughs) And then they bring myrrh. Myrrh was the embalming agent of that day. Now, would you go over to somebody's house that just had a baby? Said, I brought you all some embalming fluid. You think, well, good grief. What, what, what's that all about? Well, it's symbolizing the fact of the death and sacrifice. Uh, we're told that probably Nicodemus used probably 100 pounds of myrrh at the burial of Jesus. And uh, Revelation 2 talks about the church at Smyrna. They manufactured the myrrh. It was a big thing there. It, it would be odd Uh, But Psalm 22 describes the death of our Lord by crucifixion. Isaiah says it like this. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. You see... Christ was to suffer and die for your sin and my sin. And so this myrrh 
symbolize the aspect of his ministry. The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. Gold previewed him as the king of kings. Frankincense previewed him as our great high priest. The myrrh, can you imagine that mama knowing her son was born so that he could live to die for all of the sins of the world? Wow. Let me close out here. There's an example of the wise man. The expectancy, the ecstasy, the example. They were the first ones to give gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they set a precedent, I believe, in an example of their giving. It's sincere giving. It's sincere. Their giving was part of their worship. I think sometimes we try to separate the material from the spiritual. We don't want to take that which is material and put it over in the realm of the spiritual. And I think that's one of the first compromises that Satan tries to get a saved person to understand. Hey, it's all right now. You got saved. There's nothing I can do about it. But your, your material things are separated from your spiritual realm. <clears throat> I was studying this week. You remember when... Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh finally says, all right, your people can go. But he said, listen, uh, let your flocks and your herds and all that, let that stay here. You take you and your people and y'all can go. But leave everything else here. What Pharaoh is saying is, Moses, you leave your business in Egypt. Now listen to me. There are a lot of people today who got saved but they left their business over in Egypt. Mm. You see how clever Satan is? I, I, I want to say a person that doesn't tithe and a person that doesn't have the other nine-tenths dedicated to God has listened to the devil. Because I want to tell you, this book tells us that. I'm not telling you this. I'm telling you the Word of God tells us that the tithe belongs to the Lord. But not a, I, I don't have to worry about that. What I'm worried about is standing before judgment trying to give an account for the other 90% because that belongs to him also. Moses goes on to say in verse 26 of Exodus 10, our cattle shall go with us. There's not going to be one hoof left behind. Isn't that great? <laughs> not a hide, not a hair, not a hoof. I think what old Moses is saying, Pharaoh, we're going. We're going. And Pharaoh, we're going all the way. And Pharaoh, not only are we going, and not only are we going all the way, but Pharaoh, we're going all the way with everybody. In this church here, there are people who literally can give enough money to pay off this new building. But listen to me. You better listen close. That does not exempt those who can't pay it off from not giving what they can. The deal here is we're going and we're all going. It's not part of us, it's all of us. He said, we're going, we're going all the way, we're going with everybody, we're going with everybody and all they've got, every inch of us. We're going all out for the Lord. That was the example for us today. Well, that would have been a good place to put an amen.
They worship with their gifts. I know, hey, you start talking about money. I've been a Baptist all my life. Man, Baptists get, there'll be two or three of you have to get up and leave right quick. You you start coughing, act like you're coughing, trying to get out the door. There's only two more points to this. It doesn't do anything but get better. They worshiped with their gifts, but it not only was sincere, it was spontaneous. They brought the gifts which they presented to Jesus. They knew real worship and they expressed itself. But when they, when they saw the Christ child, that's when they realized they couldn't hold nothing back. That's when they fell down and worshiped him. That's when they fell down and worshiped him. You see, they gave themselves. Could I let you in on a little secret? God don't have to have your money. In fact, he can take it away from you if he wants to. It all belongs to him. You say, oh, no, I worked hard for that. Oh, you think you did. I'm telling you, when you're laying on your back going through a heart fib thing, you'll realize real quick you didn't do anything. It all belongs to God. You'll start making promises you never knew you'd make. Spontaneous. They gave themselves, and then they were an example because they were sacrificing. They opened up their treasures. The Bible said the word treasures there is a word that means storehouse, a receptacle where things are laid up. They, they went back, they, they, they got the things that were laid up and they gave it to the Lord. <laughs> I want to have just a little bit of praise the Lord time here. We've been given this year 25 acres. Now, I hadn't told many of y'all this because you, you already, mine's already blown up, but, but uh, we're going to have a retreat center. Uh, and it's going to be, you know, we're going to be able to take little boys and girls that we pick up and not have to pay $100 a night. We're going to have a retreat center one day right here. We've been given 25 acres by a wonderful Christian guide here off of Lake Cherokee, and there'll be a day when that's going to be our retreat center, and Youth can go there and college can go there and senior adults can go there and you can walk through the woods and see the prayer gardens and all those things. God's blessed us with that. He's blessed us. We, we were given this last week land valued at more than $60,000. We'll get the money of that for the end of the year. God blessed us with that. The, the preacher didn't beat nobody on the head. But I wish I could. If I knew who if I knew who to knock in the head, I'd knock him in the head. I don't know who to knock in the head. All I know to do is say, Lord, you're going to have to speak to people. Another's promised sale of land. Another says, I got a windfall. Folks, I want to tell you, God is working. And if we raise the money to pay that building off, it won't be because of our ingenuity. It'll be because of God. And God using people to do what God tells them to do. You know, some of y'all might need to cash in a CD. I mean, if you got 10 of them at 100,000, what's one of them missing going to hurt you? Maybe some of you need to cash in some life insurance. I learned a long time ago, don't carry a lot of life insurance because I'm worth more dead than I am alive. And when you get that to certain people, that can be bad. Some of you may need to sell some property. Some of you need to go in your 401k. I I don't know, but I know this. It's got to be family wide. All of us must make this trip together. Every one of us must be together. Dr. James Dobson, 
love that dear man. I love men who have stood the test of time. You find men like Jerry Falwell and, and uh, James Dobson, guys like that, Billy Graham. You know, you, you don't find about they had an affair or they did this or did, did, did that. I mean, when they lived that long in the public life, you know they were pretty good men. I love Dr. James Dobson. He tells this story about his father who was an itinerant evangelist. And uh, he said travel, of course, was expensive in those days. And, and uh, uh, one of the problems was the way churches barely paid preachers. And, and then if you were an evangelist, if you wasn't preaching, you didn't get paid, period. Dad, Dobson said, I remember Daddy going off to speak in a little tiny church. And he came home 10 days later. Now, these were also the days where you didn't have a one-day revival or three days. It was 10, 14, 21, you know, at the same place. He said, Daddy came home, and he said, my mama greeted him warmly. He said, how was the revival? Daddy just beamed. He always loved to talk about revival, he said. And eventually, she'd get around and ask him about the offering. Women always want to know what the offering was. Amen? How much did they pay you, she asked. Dobson says, as a 10-year-old boy, I could still see the look on my daddy's face. He said, ah, and he just kind of smiled and looked at the floor. And he said, my mama stepped back and looked into his eyes. She said, I get it, I get it. You gave the money away, didn't you? Murdy said, the pastor down there is going through a lot of trouble. He's got boys that got holes in their shoes, and they're going to school on a cold morning without a coat. And he said, I felt like I ought to give the whole $50 to them. He said, my mama looked at him intently, but I knew what she was going to do. She smiled and said, you know, if God told you to do it, it's okay with me. And she said, it wasn't very many days, he said, and until the inevitable happened, they run out of money. He said, daddy got him and his mama and family all together in the bedroom. He said, I can still remember, Lord, you promised that if we'd be faithful to you and your people in our good times, You'd not forget us in our time of need. And we've tried to be generous. Now we're calling on you for help. He said, boy, as an impressionable 10-year-old boy, I thought to myself, what in the world is God going to do now? I mean, is there, is there really a God? Is he going to do anything? And he said, the very next day, a check for $1,200 came in the mail. And he said, you know, Dr. Dobson says, I didn't see that once or twice. He said, I was raised seeing that over and over again. I asked myself, what are my children learning from the way I've taught them to give? What are my children learning in the way I've taught them of faithfulness? What are my children learning in the way I've taught them of commitment? What kind of legacy? Are we teaching them to live by faith? Or are we raising up a generation that says, if we don't see it in our hand, we're not going to believe it? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We've got to walk by faith. Knowing this, that one day, that faith is going to be turned into sight. And we're going to rejoice. You say, preacher, I, 
I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's easy as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner this morning. If you admit you're a sinner, see, you don't need to be saved if you don't know you need to be saved. You're sitting here thinking you're pretty good. I see some people in here that I'm a lot better than they are. They're not saying a whole lot. <laughs> you need to admit you're a sinner. B, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, is that important? <laughs> if we don't believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, everything we're doing is in vain in this place today. Admit you're a sinner, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and see, commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I'll be honest with you, I can think of some good Christmas presents. I was shown a car yesterday, a Rolls Royce that sold for $325,000. I told my wife, don't put a down payment on that thing. <laughs> I can think of a lot of Christmas presents. But I want to tell you, I can't think of any present that would be greater for you to be saved on this Christmas season. I don't think there's a present you could drag up anywhere that could touch the magnitude of you giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And it really doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how old you are. None of that matters. Be saved before it's too late. And then maybe today you just need to come and just talk with the Lord. I know you can do it at your seat, but you've been encouragement to a lot of people. I know we got a couple of busybodies. If they saw you walking down here, they'd wonder what you did this week, why you need to come down here and get repentance. Listen, you can get repentance anywhere. You need to walk down here to meet with the Lord. That's what these altars are for. Maybe we've forgotten that. Maybe you need a church home. You won't find one better this side of heaven than this one right here. Father, we come into your presence thanking you for everything you've given us, knowing full well that to whom much is given, much is required. Lord, I thank you that this church has a heart to work. It has a heart for souls of lost men, women, young people, boys and girls. I thank you, Lord Jesus, what you have done in this church what you've done in this place right here. Lord, we want to see more. We want to see more people saved. We want to see, Lord, more families put back together. God, would you have your way in this service this morning? Let your Holy Spirit speak. May people be obedient. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you stand together? As Brother Aaron leads us, you come. My Jesus, my Savior.